This is the Behave Yourself podcast, a podcast about behavioral science in the global south, brought to you by the Busara Center for Behavioral Economics. I'm your host, Linda Kimaru. In this episode, we meet Amy, who is a qualitative researcher at Busara and is trying to answer this one question. What is the psychological impact of social distancing in the global south? Specifically, so, I think we're going to focus on What is the psychological resources. impact of social distancing? To answer this, we looked to our team. And here are some of the voices you will hear throughout this episode. Hi, my name is Nanga. I work in comms at Busara. I am dialing in from Nairobi. Hi, my name is Lukman Hussein. I'm a senior analyst at Busara. And I'm calling in from Nairobi. My name is Kelvin Kehindes, and currently I am a senior research compliance officer based at the Busara Center headquarters in Nairobi, Kenya. This is Pooja Gupta. I'm a senior associate at the Busara Center, and I work out of the office in New Delhi in our Busara India office. Welcome to part one of a four-part series on COVID, COVID stories from Kenya and India, Busara's take on COVID-19. So the first question that we have for you is just about how you're feeling with COVID right now going on. I went cycling, I think last week, just around the neighborhood. And there were so many people outside that I was like, oh, people are not really social distancing. And I'm pretty sure like at least 60% of those people didn't need to be outside like that. But anyway, so... um terms of thoughtfulness, I think what has come with this is the whole like stay-at-home policy and everything and just being, because I spend like almost the whole day in my room, first of all like work and then after that just, I don't know, I wake up very early in the morning at like 4.30, I'm not bragging or anything, I'm usually up by 4.30, yeah, and then just because it's Ramadan also like the prayers going on and everything and all that so I do like for the better part of the morning I start off with prayers and everything and then there's just this quiet that goes on throughout the whole day uh, previously it would be like uh, wake up morning chores and everything finish up and head to the office and there's all this buzz that is just invading your space and you have to take it all in so right now it's me and like these four walls here and it's made me think of how, like, person, on personal things, I just think of, like, um, where do I want to go, what are my goals, is this really my career, and all that. Like, all those things, yeah, that everyone goes through at different points in time. Mm. And then also thinking how vulnerable that the systems and our health, are, our health is generally. So if you look at the U.S. is generally, okay, I don't know, M you'd know better, but I feel like the U.S. is crumbling because of the systems put in place and capitalism and all that. And then Italy had one of the best medical systems in the world and then it crumbled at some particular point in time. So it's just thinking of the whole of this facade of community and our health and everything. Like it just takes a very tiny microorganism, a virus. Literally, you can't see it and you don't know if you have it just to crumble everything that you've put in place. Mm. So yeah, that's how all this has made me feel and it's been a continuous process for the past few weeks i have a question lukeman i mean i relate to so much of what you're saying just like all of this excess time to think and all the different places our thoughts go um but you mentioned about like 
morning prayers and um, I know you're Muslim and I was just curious if um, mosques are open during this time. No, uh, from the government directive, mosques were closed. But then also I've heard stories of people sneaking in to pray. So, <laughs> so I read an article on Forbes about how one of the potential or possible um, reproduction rate for coronavirus was that Italy is a very communal country. You find that people live with like extended family and whatnot and everything. And Muslims community, Muslim communities and families are similar. So you find that we're mostly the extended family, um, breaking the fast like 90% of the time. It's like with relatives and everyone is just at your home and all that. So there's that sense of breaking apart. So that's one thing that's affecting these communities. And then also people have been sneaking in for prayers so that they're like stuck on the feel like, okay, we really need to go to the mosque. And the argument is that if there's a time to pray, it's right now. But also like it mm. doesn't make sense because if you look at um, uh, Saudi Arabia has permanently closed the mosque for like pilgrimage and all that. And this is like, they're like the religious people we look up to for lack of a better word. So yeah, mosques are closed, but you'd find that the people who are still insistent on going to the mosque, which is against the opinion of the majority of Muslims, like just pray at home. Yeah. When you and your family break the fast, do you ever do um, like Zooming or anything with your relatives who don't live at home with you? Yeah, no, it made me feel guilty. No, no, sorry. <laughs> no, not in a bad way. But what happens is that um, I think my mom, it's like a ritual. Every day at like 7, 7.30, a family member will call her and the call would last for like at least 30 minutes. And this time we're like probably watching a documentary together and we're like, can we get done? We need to continue with this. <laughs> Kahindas, maybe you could talk, tell us a story about a time this week or recently with COVID that you've experienced uncertainty. I mean, I feel like we're all living in this uncertainty, but for you specifically. For me, COVID, um, the reason why I say it's very uncertain, it's because of um, so many things that are happening. As in Kenya or as in Africa, comparing to whatever has happened in Italy and also in USA, we think that either there is a phase that we are ready to uh, go through because we just seen two of the uh, two countries of the G8 summit, uh, their health system crumbling. So we do not know the numbers that government is giving us, if it is the true figures on the ground. We do not understand, like, um, in terms of, like, um, uh, the economy, uh, the employment, the you know the community and everything is what is happening. So for me, I've been in touch with people. So every Sunday we have like a Zoom call with uh, around forty people, and generally we just kind of talk like, uh, what's your view? What's your opinion about uh, what's happening? Uh, what do you think this will happen? You know. So these friends are either doing master's degree and PhD degrees in those countries, so they are in lock on lockdown. So they usually now also now just um, uh, compare whatever is happening to those countries, and also we can give them an experience whatever is happening here. 
and then now we can compare what do you think next week will be what do you think um it how rough was it in the last like few weeks and all that i used to be very positive you know like uh, this thing when it comes to june mid june no mid may this thing will just like vanish itself the way it came but now it has started to come like um there's more than that's coming there's a storm that's coming so it's kind of like i'm so kind of like a negative person now kind of not really optimistic because uh, i really follow my numbers on twitter uh there are several doctors who are like um, epidemiologists who they're just like giving numbers giving numbers so i'm i'm always there up following those numbers they're comparing you know the way you know americans love comparing numbers and they love data and they love numbers so uh when those numbers come in now I'm, I'm trying now just to like my opti- optimism is kind of like fading now does, does that uncertainty make you feel a little less uh positive or is it just making you feel just just uncertain like how are you feeling so for the last like couple of days i haven't been sleeping uh, i've been <laughs> uh, no one knows what tomorrow calls for us and that they are all uncertain that now brings uh this covid brings uh to us yeah yeah can i chime on to that um and i don't know if this is because we are african i don't get that because um everyone's assumption is that now we'd move 100 digital and i'd be having face time with more people and more calls but that's not happening as in i'm still texting the same people i was texting before and we're still just doing calls um at some point i thought even with my siblings we'd set up um like a zoom link and we'd hang out but that hasn't happened which is weird because um each time um i'm on youtube i'm watching anything guys are like yeah you know um get to get like connect virtually um by showing your faces and being present but that's just not something that i've seen at least not within my circle of friends or family people doing that thing means it's time for your behavioral science term of the week this week the term is herd behavior so herd behavior is when people act along with a group sometimes making decisions they wouldn't make as individuals so for example herd behavior could lead you to spread fake news which acts as a barrier to the consumption of trustworthy information or it could lead you to wearing a mask when you're outdoors Now, back to the episode. Pooja, what about you? What have you been experiencing in India? So I think a lot of like what Kehinda's echoed, right? like said, I want to echo just like when I think of like what my life will look like a month from now, I have no idea. Um so that like at a personal level, that's like confusing and it creates this like internal storm within you where you're just like you you're faced with uncertainty and you don't know what's going to happen but i think like there are multiple layers of confusion that i'm facing one is obviously like personal but the other really is like what's going on in my country and um i was seeing this video yesterday where they were comparing to like they were comparing how media coverage differs across like a responsible anchor and an anchor who's just like bought like is is like basically 
state-sponsored media mm. um, and this re- really responsible journalist and I look up to him a lot he he covers journalism in Hindi so it's like more for the masses it's not really elite journalism and he was covering the migrant crisis that we're currently facing so basically India like locked down 1.3 billion people and didn't give a, a shit about how how our society is really structured and how we, we live so there's also like a lot of difference between urban and rural areas and um like in urban areas you have all of these people like the urban rural rural urban migration is really big in india and a lot of the workforce is informal in urban areas and they are obviously like living in very shanty conditions urban slums i mean imagine like kibera like all over the country um and these people obviously live on daily wage uh salaries so they earn like hand to mouth they don't live on paycheck by paycheck but they live day to day and there um suddenly they had to abide by this lockdown and all uh state like all boundaries were shut and they were just like relegated to staying in their like one room with like 10 other people um and i guess like there was no provision for them to go back to their uh rural communities and like as we know a lot of like the safety net in low income groups comes from uh, like their family and friends which all reside in rural areas so they obviously wanted to all go back and there was wasn't any provision for them so what they started doing was they started walking back home and like you hear of like families walking back like 200 kilometers 500 kilometers like pregnant women women with children and still like so when this when our first when the first phase of the lockdown which was like about 40 days ago came into play this this phenomena started where people started like walking back to their rural villages and there was a lot of upcry there was a lot of um media attention but the government didn't do anything they didn't like arrange special buses for them they didn't arrange like special trains nothing and even to date like it's 40 days down and still there is like no clarity from the government as to how these people are going to reach their house and i was just and just lately like a few days ago these people like these migrant workers fell asleep on the train tracks and 16 of them died um and there's like this whole like two sides of the debate is like oh why did they sleep on the train tracks and that's really not the question you should be asking you know you should be asking that why would they be there in the first place and that's obviously a system state failure um so i was as like watching this coverage and i was super confused because it's like supposed to be a health crisis right globally it's a health crisis and yes like everyone's economy is hit and stuff and it is becoming like an economic crisis but in like developing countries it is a humanitarian crisis almost mm. right because there's there's like this completely like it disproportionately affects poor communities like they will take years like it's almost like some of them who broke that intergenerational poverty trap are now like forced back like and they took generations to come out of it right they're going to be forced right back into it um and yeah like our government i mean yesterday after like 40 days announced like finally a really substantial relief package but as always like there's no idea as to like how much of that package is just media and publicity and how much of it is actually going to going to have any benefits so i guess like kehinda's like constantly like checking like how many people are dying my first level of confusion is just like should i care about like the health numbers like should i care about like should i be 
uh, every day or like what is the state of the disease in India or should I really be checking like how many how many migrants are like walking back home how many people are start starving how mm. many women don't have access to institutional deliveries anymore so there's like this this huge confusion and I think at the second level like the video I was watching yesterday compared these two anchors and like obviously I like, spoke about what the first anchor covered and the second anchor was absolutely ludicrous where like he kept praising the government like they they, they did this comparison where like out of 34 debates like 20 of them were on Hindu Muslim because like unfortunately there was this case where this in India like a lot of the spread came from one religious gathering which happened to be a Muslim gathering and everyone just went crazy about like oh it's like the whole othering and this whole like communal spirit just just spread and they the anchor covered like 20 debates were on that like five were on praising the government two were like anti-pakistan like none of them covered health information like those debates covered like um information about what are the, what is the status of our healthcare infrastructure what capacity do we have like what are the numbers nothing just like on these random issues that are meant to like spy inside like violence and hatred in people's minds and that got me thinking like even in this whole humanitarian crisis there are still be irresponsible people like this who are just like not adding any value or in fact just degrading the society it makes me sad to hear that they're focusing on like trying to incite hate between them instead of focusing on the issues um it also reminds me of the u.s in a lot yeah of places. yeah yeah what have you seen other people experiencing due to COVID and how do you feel about that? So um, some of you talked about how like you hear on the news, social distancing, shelter in place, and then you go outside and you see everyone out there. So maybe um, people can talk a little bit about why you think people are still out there, what they're doing, are people wearing masks? Like, what, why is the need for people to still be outside for people who may not be familiar with this? It all boils down to money, at least from what I can see. Um, and the best example I can give is I usually have a cleaning lady who comes in. Um, but when we were sent home, I told her, okay, so we're going to consider this leave because um, I can't have you coming in. I, I, I don't know who you're interacting with, but I'll keep on paying you. And there's a day two weeks ago and she called and she says, you know, um, thank you, mama. I really appreciate you um, still paying me because I figured... I mean, the amount is much. She comes twice a month. My place is small, so I don't really need that much help. Um, but for her, it was that. Um, so all the other jobs that she has have stopped. Um, she used to go to different houses every single day of the week, and now none of them would be willing to have her come in to clean. Um, so she has a kid. She still has regular rent to pay, and she's like, I understand that ideally we ought to be in the house and staying safe and keeping safe, but that's just not an option because it's either I stay safe or I starve and I have a child. So there's no way that's possible. Piles am I expected to make sure that, you know, guys are able to continue surviving. And I mean, the thing with the context that we live in is that it's not just you, you have family, like the people who rely on you to be able to get other stuff done, the people who you send money to, the people who you support, um, it's just the nature of the cultural context that we are in. I'll still get my salary at the end of the month by sitting in this chair. Mm -hmm. um, for other people who earn a daily wage, it's just not the same thing. And so that's why guys are out. And yeah. Yeah, I think I'd echo what Nenga has said. I think 
a little while ago when they put a lockdown on ECB. Okay, let's pause for some context here. The Kenya government instituted a nationwide dawn-to-dusk curfew in late March, along with other measures such as making it illegal to be in public without a mask on. In early May, it was announced that Isili, a neighborhood in Nairobi populated mainly by Muslims, was going into lockdown for 15 days. At the time of the recording of this episode, it is still in lockdown. Most residents of this neighborhood saw this move as unfair, illogical, and as some kind of punishment. For more context on the relationship of the Kenya government and its Somali community, you can check out the show notes. But for now, let's get back to the episode. I remember they were interviewing some members of that community. Uh, and I remember there's this lady who was saying that uh, she was actually crying. She was like, now we're locked down. We have no way of you know, going to add jobs for those that work outside of the city they have no way of getting any food because of course now there's a lockdown so vendors who usually bring food to the markets are locked down um so i do echo i i think in kenya and you hear a lot of stories uh, i think even the first time that the government instilled the the curfew you had a lot of people complaining you have taxi drivers complaining those who rely on night businesses complaining um and i think in this society uh in this in the context of Kenya, it's about surviving and getting your daily threat. And I think that's mm. what we hear a lot. Many people are like, I cannot stay at home. There's a, there's a lady who was interviewed on TV and she said, I'd rather die of coronavirus than, you know, not have enough money to feed my family. So I think, you know, this within hearing, there's so many statistics that are thrown at us on a daily basis. And I think at the very beginning of this, of this illness and pandemic when it hit Kenya, people were nervous. But as the as the months, you know, go on, I think if it hasn't affected you and it hasn't affected your family, this thing is so far away from you and so far fetched that all you can think about is just going back to your normal lifestyle. Like we've heard yeah. stories and not just of, of, of uh, you know, even of, of people who are classified as middle income and high income. I've heard stories of people in, in Kilimani and Kililesho, like they, they, you know, they go out and they get drinks and they lock themselves in a pub and then they just drink all night, you know. They, those guys are not looking for money, that they're looking for normalcy, right? They're looking to get back into their normal life and mm. their normal routine because um, people like just you know, tired, you know, we are very lucky we, we can, you know, still earn a living uh, when we're at home. I think most people still need to go out. That again, I don't know about everybody else, maybe Lukman and Puja and Kelvin can can pitch in as well, but you just want to go back to normal life. Like, I, I, I think I'm not the only one. We just want to, you know, just get out there and just go back to normal life. I've heard this trope a lot, like, there's the potential to get coronavirus, but there's like almost, you're almost sure to starve if you don't go to work. Um, and I'm curious, like how, if you've seen the government respond or communities come together to respond, whether that's like, like how saving structures have changed or like how people are helping each other out in this time that may be a little bit different than usual. There's some ways that I've seen that people have tried helping is that there's a lot more of like relief um, and like charity organizations like trying to do something. I've seen quite a lot in the past few weeks and I think that's a very good thing. And like here at home, um, what we're doing is that um, the help that we have, we're trying to like 
add a little bit of some sort of bonus as a corona relief mm. money just to help her and her family and people around her and all that. So I think that's one way that people are doing this. But also at the same time I'm thinking how sustainable are like how sustainable will charities like be on like going forward because most of these are like individual based or very small organizations based and like a lot of the funds coming in let's say from World Bank they're like towards health systems and not supporting like the bottom of the pyramid people and what we need is that governments to support like this bottom of the pyramid people some sort of like stimulus or cash transfer and I don't think we've seen much in at least what I've, I've seen so far, I haven't seen any developing country or government trying to support the bottom of the pyramid people. Mm. And I think this is the most sustainable way that this can go about. So that's the biggest question I have right now. How can we support people who are disproportionately affected by COVID-19? And this is through like public institutions and not private, because private can only do so much and at such a scale. Mm. Yeah as Puja said, this started as a, a health crisis. Then we went to economical kind of disruption. And now we are currently, and we might be heading to a humanitarian like um, a problem. And um, just as Lukman said, and you, we've had about um, one of the very high-end school in Kenya, uh, Brookhouse parents, who kind of like are paying millions in school fees started to go to um the parents decided to go to court so that maybe the school can decide now to cut uh cut down some of the school fees that's being uh, paid to school this means that um at some point we might think this might be affecting only the the poor or the low income earners but it has now started now encroaching into the middle class because I think um, six out of 10 people I know, either they have lost their jobs and um, and this is just a middle, I will say those who are earning between um, monthly of 30,000 to 70,000, either they have lost their jobs because maybe um, uh, we do not have plans or we do not have that sustainability and then also uh we've seen uh seven out of ten people i know they've been told to pay to take like pay cut and this pay cut can only be sustained in the next like um that was april between april and the next three months that will be now for example like july so if this thing now continue now um being with us we might be seeing like it comes like july august we might be seeing another narrative which may be, I don't know, game plan of the government. As Lukman has said, we might be expecting so much from the private sector, but this lies on the hands of government. We don't know what the government will be doing now just to cushion the whole uh, the whole thing. Yeah. What about in India, Pooja? Have you seen people come together, support each other in different ways? Yeah, so I think a lot of what everyone is saying kind of applies to India as well. I was very surprised, positively surprised when in the initial few days, like the entire country really mobilized to support um, to support vulnerable communities. So there were a lot of donations, a lot of charities. And like, I think one thing that I realized is that like 
India has like re- a really strong civil society. Like we have organizations, which is probably similar to Kenya, but like we have organizations that are indigenous, like indigenous nonprofits that have been operating for years and therefore have like a lot of grassroots level and, and like are almost supplementing the entire bureaucratic nature in their own like fourth pillar of uh, democracy so yeah so they really mm. i think there was a lot of like willingness to give and a lot of willingness to do uh, from the non-profit side as well but i feel like as this is normalizing a little bit like this is like now no longer you're like constantly moved by um you know it's like a one off story that you hear with like all your emotions which would like trigger these like emotions where you want to donate money but i think because everyone is now affected the the curve is definitely sloping down now towards donations which is which is sad because this wasn't just like a one month thing or two month thing like as kehinda said it's only going to become worse going forward so we really still need to be able to have some measure of redistribution um and like obviously right like you can't expect people to do that because even in a normal environment people don't believe in redistribution right they don't believe in giving part of their wealth to someone who needs it uh their excess wealth rather uh so i guess this is really some place where the government does have to step in and does have to take measures and i think there have been a lot of talks in india like about a wealth tax about an inheritance tax but i think there is like a really um careful balance that the government also needs to strike because you don't want to have disincentives the private sector like you don't want to disincentivize earning or like businesses and mm. earning income and there's this whole conversation in india at least about like oh this is that turning point for india where we can now be the manufacturing hub because like everyone wants to move away from china so this is really some like india can use this opportunity and really like transform itself mm. um and i think one of the biggest reasons why india da- like India didn't rise as fast or as high as China was because of our laws and regulations around like labor businesses taxes so i think there's a lot of like conversation around how the government should incentivize productivity private sector productivity but then there's all like this whole redistribution angle as well so obviously like the government has a really tough challenge ahead of them uh but i think like some level of like both need to be done right because if you provide incentives to the private sector obviously like it, it is going to trickle down to the lower like it is going to mean more wages it is going to be mean more jobs more employment which is good but then at the same time you don't want it to be like where again all of the profits are being accumulated like just at the top you want it to trickle down mm. so there also needs redistribution um and obviously like in the short run there definitely needs to be like a mass stimul- like a fiscal stimulus and safety nets that need to go out but yeah i'm curious to know like i don't have the answer like i'm not a great economist who has like that perfect balance that should be struck but i think this is like an important thing to look at mm. This was so interesting. I thank you for sharing your stories and for your candor and for like opening up a window into your life and what you're experiencing. Thank We love you. that. Thank you. Thank you. And that brings us to the end of episode 1. Join us next time as we continue to dive into the impact of COVID-19 in the global south. Behave Yourself is a podcast produced by the Busara Center for Behavioral Economics. 
Find us on Twitter. Our handle is at Busara Center and you can read our Busara Center blog about the work that we do on Medium. Until next time, remember, behave yourself.